All right. Well, we've been in a sermon series called Help. Anybody feel like they need help today? All right. Well, we've been in this sermon series, Help, and, and this series of sermon is designed to help us overcome the temptations of the enemy of our souls. And sometimes we have to ever overcome our own foolishness and selfishness. You know, I'm going to, again, some of you may feel like I'm a broken record. I'm going to make mention of some of the things going on in our culture now. But I want to draw your attention first to set the scene back to when Jesus was about to be, before he was to be crucified and the devil started tempting him. I want you to think about what was the temptations the devil threw at him. Give me one of them. Food. I heard food, right. Pride of life, right. Uh, you know, th- he was attacking the things that was affecting his natural body, right. Right? You're hungry? Turn that rock into bread. We sometimes in our minds wrongfully separate the natural from the spiritual, yet the natural, keep in mind, this place was created by God, but sin has changed it for the worse, right? But we still live in a spiritual world, but the natural and the spiritual go hand in hand. And I want to give you Jesus as the example. Fully God, yet fully man, and the things he could be tempted with was, what, hunger, Right? And, it, and through this series, I've been giving you this acronym called HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT. When, you, when you're in a difficult time, whether it's managing a bad attitude or feeling like you're being attacked, which is what we're talking about today, being attacked, help, I feel like I'm being attacked, you need to HALT. And HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. You see, sometimes it's those natural things that we don't pay attention to that next thing we know is make it very hard for us to manage our spiritual walk, our relationship with the Lord. And we have to pay close attention to those things. It's hard to stay strong when you feel constantly under attack or when attacks come from close to your heart. Now listen, this message could easily be uh, very soft and feel good for a lot of people if you are a person who tends to think you're always being attacked and you may be or you may be a person that causes your own attacks (laughs) because there are some people who by the choices they make in their life they bring it on themselves and they're like oh that devil's really kicking me out no you probably just need to maybe quit spending your money the way you do or you need to maybe quit doing the things you're doing or the relationships you're getting yourself into Yes, the enemy is setting those up, but we, we have a responsibility in there too. But what I'm talking about today are those times when we feel constantly attacked, when we're really in a culture of attack. Now, you know I don't talk a lot about politics from the pulpit, but, but there's some key things happening in our culture now that would be easy to think are new to us as Christians, which really aren't. And I'm going to give you an example. If you watch about the whole conversation about transgenderism now, and there's pronouns that you're to use, otherwise you're a hater or you're, um, or you're uh, being violent because of your, your, your voice or because of your lack of tr- uh, the right choice of words. Or, or you look at this privileged white male, right? See, we're not going to get down this road because everybody's got their own opinion. I'm just going to tell you, though, that many times we'll look at those things as a recent natural problem with man and we're bewildered how we got there but truth of the matter is it's age-old problems just resurfacing over and over again you see the thing is right now we are in a culture of attack we are in a culture you look at the brett kavanaugh and the supreme court justice uh, nomination and that circus that went on right 
And whether you want to believe the vic- who they say the victim is or the one being accused, the truth of the matter is, is it takes nothing at all these days for an accusation to blow up and to become vile. Everybody's a hater if they do something that someone disagrees with. See, here's the thing. When you live in this kind of culture, if you want to turn in the book of uh, 1 Peter, we're going to look at some scripture there here in a moment, but when you're the target of attack, your world seems to stop. Can you imagine being Brett Kavanaugh, and if the allegations are all false, can you imagine what he went through? Can you imagine what his family is going through? Even if uh, some or all of it's true, the fact of the matter is, when you have accusations coming at you that in a public arena like that and so harsh, death threats to your family, all kinds of things like that going on, it, you feel like your world has just stopped. Now, I won't go into detail, but once in my life, I had a false accusation against me that crushed me. It literally takes away everything you thought you were when people believe something untrue about you. It literally steals from you what you thought your character, your, your, your person was. And you're just begging, wishing someone would believe you. We, we can think about these things that happen a number of ways, like a former employee is calling key customers and making false accusations against you. Uh, the other side in, in your custody case is making up horrible lies, and the worst thing is people are believing them. You've taken a strong stand for sexual purity at school and now other students are spreading vicious lies about you. Your child is running from God and the, in, in the process doing horrible damage to your family. I talked to a young mother this week that's never been to this church. Just uh, We've had contact once before uh, with some family struggles and Jennifer ended up talking to her, but this lady was crushed. Her marriage is split apart and her teenage boys acting out of that and not acting, or not, uh, not acting out of, out of um, malice, but out of pain. But literally one boy saying he didn't want to live anymore, and she's so scared of losing her son to suicide because of the turmoil between her and the father. And we, and we see these things, and, and, and she's expressing the fact that those, one of the boys has verbally attacked her out of his anger and frustration of the situation and, and the hurt in that mother's voice. And when you feel like you're being attacked, you feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're completely by yourself and it's easy to get angry and not know how to manage those things. Whether you're a preacher, a politician, a businessman, a student, a housewife, no matter who you are, at one time or another, you faced that kind of opposition. Yes, it shouldn't have happened. It's not fair. But it did happen, and it will happen. When persecution comes, it seems like everyone is against us. Even those who are trying to be nice to us give us the pet answers, right? Oh, I know I've been there. You go to pour out your heart to somebody, and they spend the most time talking about their anguish, right? Their past anguish, how they overcame that. It's like, that's great. I don't feel any better. Thank you very much. I just wanted you to listen, right? Sometimes as Christians, we need to be better listeners than we are talkers. Today your situation might be uh, different. Your enemy may be a little harder to identify. Maybe you feel like you're being attacked, but you really don't know what it is. 
I remember another time we we're getting ready to go to Branson today and I didn't really uh, tell you that in the beginning but um, Jennifer and I tried to take family day Saturday and I ended up finding some deals for stuff on the church and uh, not taking a full day off so what you saw on Facebook was the first rest before I found the deal on Facebook and took off um, so uh, to do that we have to pick up some stuff Monday in in Ozark Missouri for the church and uh, so we're gonna go stay in Branson and get that on the way back and get a little time this evening and uh I've been worried about my old truck. It's been acting funny, so pray for us because I'm just praying it's making the trip there and back. Um, But, you know, it feels like everything's against you sometimes. Uh, You know, you'd think driving an old spray-paint truck like I do, a 95 with 350,000 miles on it, that I would kind of have the expectation that something might go wrong. But but when it does, you're out there kicking the thing and saying, God, what are you doing to me? This thing's used for ministry like 99% of the time. I mean, it's, that's about all I'm driving it lately is just to do stuff. And this thing has to keep working. Why are you letting it break down, right? And it's like we just don't expect these things that feel like attacks to happen. But the truth is, they're going to happen. Maybe you can't really identify the opposition, but you have a sense that you're being attacked, even spiritually. I remember one time, other, other time we were in, in Branson, and I caught myself not finishing something. And you knew it, right? And we were laying there. This is when Pastor Jim was still alive, and he was pastor of this church, the church planner. And Jim and I were in a hotel on vacation, a little cheap place that you could hear people walking by outside the window. The windows are real thin. And I remember thinking I was having a bad dream. I won't go through the whole thing, but I was literally being choked by this spiritual being. And then I realized I wasn't sleeping. I could hear people walking by. I was awake, but I was paralyzed, couldn't move. It's like one of those dreams where you can't yell, but it was for real. And I, I just was trying to get my wife's attention. I could not move my hand like I was pinned. I was trying to bump, bump into her to get her to pray or something. Petrified of what was going on. And finally, I got a gas breath, hit her. She began, she immediately saw what was happening, began to pray in, in the spirit over me. And it released me. Of course, she wanted to bail out of there real quick. <laughs> and we didn't really know at first, but the Lord downloaded to me that there's going to be an attack on families at New Song and within six months there was where he couldn't split up a family. Um, that's when Colton was pushed off trampoline, broke both bones in his arm, had to have pins, had another little girl their age drowned and she was out so long they thought she was going to be brain dead and God brought her through without harm. But, but there was a, a real serious time at New Song one time when we could see just rampant one after another. Families would move off so they'd go have their divorce. Like, like I mean spiritual attack like we'd never seen before. So maybe it's not real clear, but you know you're being attacked. But here's the thing. We need to know how to respond when we're attacked. You are not called by God to be a, a target for a target's sake. You're not called by God to be a pincushion, to be just stuck and stuck and stuck. He gives us his playbook to tell us how to respond when we're being attacked. And that's what I love about God's word. If you really are reading God's word, letting it be applied to your life, amen, Chris, then then you have the playbook and you know exactly what you need to be doing when the enemy attacks. It's our handbook for living. You know, we'll open a recipe book, right, and look at how to make something and, and, and it'd be spelled out really clearly there. And then sometimes we take our artistic leeway there and say, hmm, I think I'll change this or I think I'll change that. And and often that's what happens. We take God's word, we have the just of it, and we start trying to apply it our own way. But that's not what God intended. So today I want to look at the Bible. Back at a time when the church was 
enduring great persecution. If you remember in 64 AD, this is when Nero was ruling Rome. And, and, and some of us may know about Nero, but it's believed that he set some major fires that were destroying things and he pinned it on the Christians, said they did it. And so they were killing Christians at rampant rates. And one of the ways they'd do it is they would burn them on the stake at their big parties to light the party. That tells you a little bit about where their mindset was because you know that burning flesh had to be just nauseating. But when you're so set against the things of God, you, you are blinded to things that normally would turn your stomach. As a result of his blaming, n- numerous Christians were convicted on various trumped-up charges and sentenced to death. Now, this is where we want to think that our society has somehow changed recently. That, that they're blaming Christians for all the hate. They're blaming Christians for all the problems in the world. If we just get prayer out of schools, if we can get this and that, and we think this is new. No, this is exactly how the devil has always operated. He has always been one to try to divide those who don't believe against the Christians. This is nothing new. We should not be surprised by the way our society has gone. These executions of the Christians, they are public spectacles. Some were covered with hides of wild animals and then uh, pursued and killed by, by dogs. Some were nailed to crosses. Many Christians were covered in oil and wax and burned, as I mentioned. If anyone has ever been under attack, it would be the Christians in Rome. We have no corner on the market on being attacked as Christians. Peter writes this letter to the church from Rome, which means... He himself was being persecuted. But remember Peter? He's the one that denied Jesus three times, right? He's the one that cut the guard's ear off, right? You know, you kind of like Peter a little bit there. But something happens to him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, right? After Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Peter begins to mature and grow. Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Right? Jesus knew that when he denied him three times, Peter wasn't done. Peter had some sanctifying to do. He had some growing to do. You know, when you read about Peter at this point, when he's enduring persecution and leading the church, you'd almost think that you've somehow jumped and read about Paul. Because Peter's really a different character at this point. Which shows you what God can do with us as Christians, even when we've messed up, even when we've denied him, even when we got overzealous and maybe did things rashly, God can transform us and change us into world changers. We've got to be very careful that we don't let our society dictate how we respond as Christians, but let the Word of God and His example dictate how we respond. I'm going to give you some examples of that here in a minute. Peter, he was brash, impulsive, unpredictable. He's kind of a hothead who goes from one extreme to the other. The guy you see in John chapter 18 is not the man you want leading the church in times of persecution, right? I mean, he'd just be starting fights. But something happened. The leader we see 64 years later when he writes this book is completely different from the disciple who denied Jesus. Completely different. This is evidence of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in your life when you yield to his work and his plan and you don't hold fast and set your feet on the ground and say, this is who I am. You say, make me who you want me to be. Peter's joy in time of persecution was not only evidence of his inner transformation, but was an encouragement to other Christians and a demonstration of the power of the gospel and believers. 
if you were alive at the time when you had to be fearful of being burned at the stake for your faith, would you not think it amazing for a man to be able to be calm, cool, and collected who once was a hothead? Some of us resign, we give up on ourselves. We hit age 30, age 40, age 50, and somewhere in there we make that assessment. It's like, it's too late for me. I'm set the way I am. I'm never going to change. But Peter's our example. That's not true. So what do you do when you're under attack? I want to give you 14 things. If you're taking notes, I want to give you four, they're not things, 14 actions. 14 actions. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind. Let that soak in for a minute. Gird up the loins of your mind. What in the world is he talking about? Gird up the loins of your mind. My mind has loins. We're not talking about tenderloins. What, what, could the, what could be the message here? Each of our minds have very tender, vulnerable areas of our lives that tend to be private, but need our attention to protect them because they're soft spots the enemy can attack. They're vulnerable areas of our lives. First Peter 1.13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Think clearly, be self-controlled is what it's saying. So the first thing is don't panic. Here's where we as Christians get in the most trouble with our mouths, our minds, and our hearts and what we project and the gospel that we project to others is we panic in times that we're afraid. Maybe we're lonely, maybe we're hungry, maybe we're tired, angry, and we panic and we react Isn't it awesome to hear this advice from Peter? It gives me hope for myself. Knowing who he was, right, and how he acted before, the guy who cut off the guard's ear, Peter has learned when you panic, you do things you regret. I've heard a mentor always uh, tell me once before, if you have something pop in your mind to say out your mouth in a time of pressure, hold off for a minute, halt, think of the next thing you'd say and compare them. Chances are the second thing you say is better than the first you would have said. I've been told, go with the second thing you'd say most of the time. It's, it's not like a test where they say, don't change your answer, right? Your first answer is probably right. No, this is different. Don't panic. We are accused of something we didn't do. We're faced with a cruel attack. When it happens, we have a tendency to panic. We say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do and we get in a hurry to make bad decisions. But I want to stop and encourage you. And, you know, I've told many times about the situation where I left Bible college, not in a good way, over a, a, a false accusation, and I ended up in the Navy. Not God, what God wanted, but he used it. So, so don't let the enemy bring condemnation if you've ever panicked and done something you shouldn't, because God has used that time and time again in my life. It's not something I should have done, but once it was done, and I gave my life back to God, he began to use it. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We get in a hurry and we make bad decisions. So when you're under attack, when you face opposition, don't quickly react. Don't fly off the handle. Take a breath. Halt. Assess where you're at, what's going on in your life. I've had to do it so many times with this building project. I've had conversation after conversation with people in the church say, hey, I'm sorry, that probably sounded harsh. I... I don't know what's wrong with me. And at the time, I didn't. And after I had a little bit of time to think about it, I was like, well, I'm letting the pressure get to me. I'm not reacting good. 
Your first impulse is generally not good. The second thing, keep doing right. Scripture tells us, don't be weary in well-doing. Keep doing right. 1 Peter 1, 14-15, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. That means you have to make a choice, you have to resolve, you have to make your mind up. I need to do as my father has done and be holy as he is holy. I can't make myself holy, I need his help. And then 1 Peter 2.1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. 1 Peter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of his visitation. Some of you may have been in that situation like I've expressed recently where I was let go of a job at Walmart and then the Holy Spirit helped me in how I responded. It wasn't me. I was aware as the Holy Spirit left. But the people in the room fire me were crying on my, for me and I was smiling, saying, God is my provider, and preached a sermon. And it was that that God used when someone higher up heard about how I left, heard about the situation, fought for my job back. See, many times we think we've got to fight for ourselves. No, God will fight for you. You've got to respond the way Jesus, the way the Holy Spirit is prompting you to respond, and he will go to bat for you. I got my job back, and somebody fought very hard to see me promoted time and time again and helped me go up the chain, took me on as a mentee, all because of one moment where the pressure was on, and praise the Lord that I didn't respond the way normally I would. But God helped me. So keep doing right. As your coach for how we are to play out the Great Commission through this ministry, play the right way. Play the right way. Play it in such a way that when onlookers look at how you're living out your faith, they say, that's how it should be done. If you're reacting badly, if you're reacting too quickly, if you don't keep doing right, what the world's going to see is there's another Christian who says one thing and does another. They say their attitude's supposed to be another way, but they just can't help themselves firing back at me because of their political beliefs or their political stance. They just can't help but, but hammer me back instead of showing compassion and love. And that's why we need to play it the right way. Tony Dungy was the first uh, uh, African-American coach to win a Super Bowl. And his friend, opposing coach of the Chicago Bears, Lovey Smith, there was this historical moment where they said, this is going to be awesome the first time or th that they're going to have these two African-American coaches facing off in the world championship. Tony says, no, that's not the awesome part. It's not about our race. It's about our belief in God because we are both Christians. This time you're going to see the game done the way it should be done without cursing, having integrity, being respectful, and expecting others to treat each other with respect. That's what's going to be awesome about it is them living out their faith and their profession. God will bless you and others will see your testimony of steadfastness and confidence. That's what draws people into Christ is when we are acting as Christ when the pressure's on. Not when everything's going good, they assume you can act like Christians when it's going good. When you're under attack, you have an incredible opportunity to represent Jesus. The third thing, honor authority. 1 Peter 2, 13-14. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, 
whether to the king as supreme or the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. In 1 Peter 2, 18-21, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Can you imagine the church receiving this instruction when Nero's burning their, the brothers and sisters in Christ at the stake for parties? Can you imagine receiving that? You see, we have a hard time in churches just following a leader's direction if we don't like it. And that's why it's even harder when we have a government leader who we don't agree with giving the respect that God has asked us to give to that position. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It just means we, we forget. All of a sudden we forget about the three Hebrew children standing in front of the fiery furnace being told bow or burn and they don't yell out the crowd and say you're all evildoers you horrible people, they don't tell the king, they just basically say, hey, if this is going to happen, if God doesn't save us from this fire, then we'll be with him. We're okay. We forget that our role as Christians aren't, and we're not supposed to be the judge, jury, and executioner. We're supposed to be the one bringing God's grace and the message of his hope and love and let him take care of the rest. Honor authority. Number four, don't take out your frustration on the people you love. Don't take out the frustration on the people you love. 1 Peter 3.1, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. 1 Peter 3.7-8, husbands likewise dwell with them in understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered, there are some families who the dysfunction in their spiritual uh, life fall under just this category. Because the wife is somehow confused because of the cultural norms that her being the wicked vessel somehow means I don't, I'm not going to be under a dictatorship with my husband. Well, no, that's not what God's wanting. He's given us certain roles. And I'm not talking about whether you're working at home or not. I'm just saying that no matter where you're at, you have to subject to some authority. And God's created this as that the husband has authority of the wife. When there is a marriage, that's the way it works. Now, husbands, I'm going to tell you, that means you don't keep your thumb over your wife. If I were to do that, my kids would be messed up because a lot of the good stuff coming out of them is because of the time that Jen invests in them and what she pours into them. And if I was to say it all has to be done my way and you have no choice in anything, then they would miss out on the benefit of what she has to offer. So when we're talking about being head of the household, it's not a dictative authoritarian. In fact, I, I watched, uh, I don't remember my parents arguing much, maybe disagreeing. They're back there in the back, so I'm going to tread lightly. <laughs> and they're just hoping I have bad memory and it's all good stuff, to, right? But I would see sometimes where I knew that there was not agreement on something, but it was kind of, you know, I didn't catch all of it. But I know maybe where mom's point of view was, and maybe dad had an opposite one, 
And all of a sudden, I find us doing what mom wanted. But it was not the fact that she won the fights. It's that dad had the choice, do what I think I ought to do, or listen to my wife and do, and it was out of love that he would respect and do it. So, you know, it was a beautiful thing to watch. It wasn't a matter of who's winning. It was that, yeah, I, I have the final say. Mom gave him that. Mom taught us kids that dad had the final say, that he was who God put as leader, but I oftentimes see him do what she wanted him to. And that's the love Christ showed us. He said, there's times I may have to say this is what we're doing because I've got the responsibility. But many times, if a, if a father's asked for bread, is he going to give him a stone? You know what I'm saying? He, he loves you. He's not going to spoil you and give you everything you want. But his way of leadership is not a dictatorship. It's, it's a love-ship where he says, I love you, and I'm going to give you what's best for you. Sometimes that's saying no. I love you. But don't take out the frustration you have. Yeah, um, you always, some say you always hurt the ones you love. Uh, you had a horrible day at work. Don't take that on your spouse. I've been challenged myself by mentors of mine that if you've had a hard day, when you pull in the drive, because chances are you're still trying to get over yourself and your problems all the way home. That's what that drive home is, right? It's processing and thinking through all those things that happen. So don't carry it on into the house. They might be having a great day, and you're going to come in and bring that all on them. Sit in the driveway, pray, take a breath, and then come in. I've had Jen before walk out on the front porch. They heard the truck come in, right? Happens often. often. She'll walk out there and it's like, you okay? You need help get anything? Yeah. And that's just... Sometimes me not taking what I'm carrying inside our house. And they might be having a horrible day, and I had a great one. And sometimes I need to pray, God, help me, because I, when I talk to her on the phone, she's ready to kill all three of her kids. <laughs> help me save some lives today. <laughs> Number five, don't seek revenge. Chapter three, verse nine, no returning of evil for evil. No reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to do this, that you may inherit a blessing. Number six, have faith in God's plan. Have faith in God's plan. First Peter 3, 17, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. 1 Peter 4, 15-16 But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Wow, that one's lumped in with the, the harsh ones. If you gossip, look where you just got lumped into. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Number seven, keep a good attitude. And we spent some time on that, you know, previously in previous message recently. Keep a good attitude. First Peter 4.1 Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. So in other words, it's not that you're a martyr. I don't have my tire pop in my truck while I'm doing ministry and get out there and say, oh, praise the Lord, this is a good day for a trial. Man, boy, split right in half. Couldn't have been better. Couldn't have been better. I mean, it came to pieces. Now i got to figure out how to get that wheel off the ground. Uh, I don't have the right jack. I'm going to have to call my dad. Um, praise the Lord for this. No? I'm not that strong. But what it's saying is, it's no, it's not fun for those things. It's just saying that when it comes to suffering for the cause of Christ, I'm not making light of that. When it comes to have the same mindset that, hey, look, this is for a little while, 
and this is a test. It's, it's going to grow me. Whether it's the enemy coming at me or the Lord allowing me to be tested like Job, um, it's going to help me have the right attitude if I allow it to. So keep a good attitude. Um, number eight, keep praying. First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I don't really understand how the people going through the persecution they were at the time, this letter from Peter, it would almost seem like, Peter, you really don't need us to tell us to pray. I mean, come on. I've always been a believer that persecution will cause the church to get on their knees. But really, it's not true. Even at the time of great persecution, it's not automatic that we run to God. In fact, you can see little excerpts of that in your own life if something goes wrong and your first reaction is to go post on Facebook, get sympathy, or pray and ask God's help in how to manage that. Our default is not always to get to our knees. And so in this time, Peter sees it important to remind the church, listen, pray and keep praying and keep praying. Number nine, respond with love. Keep reaching out. First Peter 4, 8 through 9. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. What do you do? Like I've seen these guys in these college campuses or who are trying to get a discourse or a conversation going about some of these things, like the use of the correct pronoun for people who have different uh, gender identities. For those of us in the South, right, in a conservative culture, we want to dismiss and say, those people are just crazy. Those are, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. I'm not dealing with that. But listen, if you have no aptitude to be able to at least listen and have compassion that there is something in their life that is driving them away from God and see it more as a mission God has sent you on to win their heart for the Lord, you'll get nowhere with the Great Commission. You'll get nowhere with what God's called you to do because you've already set in stone that, listen, there are some that aren't worth it. They're too far over the edge. I don't have patience for that. I'm telling you, try, it would try your patience, yes. If you've always been raised, believe there's two genders and someone's trying to tell you, no, you've had it wrong all along, this is how it is, you just want to dismiss it, right? You're crazy. First Peter 4, 8 through 9. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, a lot of people will say, well, this is just talking about Christians to Christians. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think... God applies anything to us in Scripture that doesn't have ramifications because if they are, his will is that none perish but have eternal life and this is how we're treating one another as Christians, I guarantee you he wants us to treat them believers with the same love and compassion. When we are feeling the pressure, our natural response is to withdraw. And I want to spend just a moment on this because you'll hear this. Those of you who come to New Song regularly, you know I beat some examples to death I do. But listen, sometimes there's no better way to put it, and it's, it's like a memory verse. If I can get you to keep to the point you can almost finish my sentence in it, then we're getting it, right? National Geographic. You see the gazelles gazelling around, right? They're gazelling around, gazelling around, and they're going past this nice golden, looks like wheat, blowing, blowing. But National Geographic gets bored with just that. They don't just take pictures of the gazelles gazelling around. What are they probably taking video for? What, what's in the weeds, right? The lion, all of a sudden, that golden mane, it's in there, prowling around, right? 
And that lion, even though it's powerful, more powerful than the gazelle, right? But it knows that there's strength in numbers. So what's the lion waiting for? Why does he just run out there? There's the gazelles. There's a bunch of them. I can have my pick. I'll just run. Why does, it, why does he wait? Why does he prowl around waiting to devour? Got to find the weak one, the slow one. The one that wasn't paying attention to where the body of Christ was going and decides to go their own way. The one that when they get stressed or when they get frustrated with a pastor or somebody in the church, they tend to want to go their own way, be quiet. I'm going to back off now. I'm not friends with everybody. I'm just going to walk my walk. I'm going to watch my TBN. Is TBN still on? And I haven't had cable for a lot of years. I'm sorry. Um, whatever the Christian network is now, right? I'm just going to have my church at home. They separate themselves somehow thinking I can be as strong as a Christian apart from the body not working through these difficulties. Even though scripture is all about us working to get together, right? And how to get along. And so now all everybody's gazelling around, but one of our little gazelles has hopped off on their own. And guess what the enemy's doing? He's in the weeds. He's in the weeds. He's, wa- he's waiting. And what he'll do is he's actually trying to get to your heart, to harden it, to push you further away. Because if he can do that, he can separate you from the strength of the body, then he can devour you. Your first response, when you feel like a bad attitude's coming on, you feel like you're not handling the stress, you want to react quickly, your first response should be to run to the flock. You don't have to always run to the pastor, and that's okay. But listen, there's more strength when you start coming together and walking life together and walking this faith journey together. And calling up your sister, brother Christ, look, look, I just about lost it with somebody, so the, I'm handling my side of it. And I'm not one to gossip, so let's just pray for me, you know, and get over, so I can get over this and get the strength. Number 10, don't be surprised by the attacks. Just like the tire blowing on my old truck three times over the last couple years. Well, I'm cheap. I call tire tracks and buy the certified used tire, right? Surprise, surprise. It doesn't last forever. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, beloved Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Uh, I don't know the the relationship or non-relationship between Brett Kavanaugh and the Lord, but I know this. If you're in that situation he's in, it's easier to be the armchair quarterback here, so please understand. I'm not trying to, but, but at the same time, if you were to able to place yourself in that situation and those accusations that they are false and you're being falsely accused and you want so badly to just let them have it. You know, sometimes, I've, I've mentioned this, uh, people will think that because the, the power of the Holy Spirit would never leave you, lead you astray or to sin. I, I want to just real quickly draw your attention. You remember the story in the Old Testament about when Moses was told he had to kill all these men for going around with adulterous women. One of Moses' guys see, sees, the, sees this guy blatantly bringing one of them to his tent. And he throws a spear through both of them, kills them. You remember that story? All right, well, he does that, and God says, because of your zealousness, he, he says, okay, now you don't have to kill anybody else, right? Now, he, now God's intention wasn't for him to do what he did, right? It wasn't how he wanted it handled. But God had to appreciate the fact that I have put in you this innate nature to want to follow me with everything you got. And so sometimes you're going to get a little wrong. But I can work with that sometimes. 
There are times when because you have put into practice the ability to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in times of ministering to people, have grace and peace, he also, because of that, you can take sometimes when he illuminates to you what people are doing wrong, and you, if you're not careful, will use that as ammunition. Now, I'm going to explain to you something. Since my wife met me, we've talked about this. We all have different giftings, but... God's giving me gifts. Sometimes I can almost like I can see through people. I'm not trying to make you nervous, but I can see through people. Like it's not my ability. God's giving me. And I can tell her something and say, listen, this is what I'm seeing is happening. And she's like, are you sure? I don't know about that. Right? We've had it happen. And then boom, right after that, just verbatim. Now, when I was weaker at Bible college, I had someone who uh, was annoying to me. This girl was very annoying to me. I probably told this story before. We were down in the commons area. And everybody's having these deep, deep theological discussions. If you're at least second year in Bible college now, you feel like you've arrived and you can have these deep <laughs> theological discussions. You, know, you, might, you might be getting a D in theology, but you can, you know, you're there. And this girl was just popping off and to me being a jerk to everybody. And she's just too much full of herself and it bothered me. And, and I just, like all of a sudden I was illuminated. It was supposed to meant to soften my heart to her. I'm going to tell you that. And later I realized this. But somehow I just knew that she had some real torn up stuff going between her and her dad. Didn't know her family, hadn't heard anything. Just the Holy Spirit. Like she's hurting. Her and dad have a strained relationship. And in that talk, I don't know what the devil just caught to me, and I'd had enough. And she said something that just segued good, and I said, it's probably because you don't have a good relationship with dad. I didn't say it exactly that way, but I'll just give you the gist of it. I, I didn't say it just outright, but she knew what I was saying. I knew... And she stormed off crying and crushed her. I felt myself shrink. Didn't feel as good as I thought it would. Right on the money. So wrong in how I did it. I could tell you a story about a leader I once had uh, under me that handled things that way with someone in the church, hurt them deeply, and that person was in the right in what they said is the way they handled it that was wrong. Fully right in what they said, fully wrong in how they handled it. And I had to bring church discipline in that, and it caused a big problem. But I had to stand by my guns. And some of us don't realize that when we're responding to the political climate or the um, uh, sexual immorality in this culture, we think being right is everything. And it's not. Sometimes how we handle it is as wrong as wrong as wrong can be. And it negates the truth that you tried to speak because you... Ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting to respond with compassion and love. Number 11, trust God's timing, trust God's timing, trust God's timing. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, in due time, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Number 12, recognize your true enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Even though we have to hold people accountable when they do bad things, we still have to realize that there's an enemy that's pulling the strings and prompting that action. Number 13, don't throw away a, don't throw away a pity party. I didn't read that right. Don't throw a pity party. It says in 5 verse 9, remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. You're not special in your suffering. 
You're special to God, but listen, there are people suffering greater than us. When I think of church leaders in Chinese prisons, like I saw this advertisement for a conference going on where this Christian was imprisoned with other ISIS members. Can you imagine being in prison, one thing, in a third world country, another thing to be put in with the people who want to kill you? So don't throw a pity party. God has got you. Um, Number 14, the final one, rest in God's grace. Rest in God's grace. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Rest in God's grace. I love that song saying, I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. Rest in God's grace. And you know, in first service, something came to my memory from yesterday, so I will add number 15. And I'm sitting there looking at stuff on the Facebook sales site and uh, this and that, not doing anything spiritual, but all of a sudden my mind out of the blue popped in, popped in this message. God is never silent. Sometimes he's just not heard. Some people say, I don't know why God's being silent with me. No, God is never silent. He's just not always being heard. Through the business of life or through the fact that we've got other things clouding our mind or maybe we're not taking time to listen, but many times God is wanting to speak. He is speaking, but we are not listening. So as you rest in God's grace, take the time to listen. He's speaking. He's a good, good Heavenly Father. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. We know that you are not separate from your worth. It is living and breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it does surgery on our hearts when we uh, submit our will to you. And I pray right now that the things that are being spoken to our hearts through this word, God, that we will capture those moments. Lord, we will take note of what you're speaking to our hearts and we'll have great resolve, Lord, to see them through into action. That, God, we won't take it lightly and walk out of here, Lord, but we'll be aware that you have orchestrated this time, this message, for this moment, for everyone within the sound of my voice. We just thank you and praise you for what you're going to do through your word in this church and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.